Hello. We're back, uh, baby. We are. Have you missed us? I hope you're you still have. there. <laughs> Mark has been on holiday. I've done nothing. I mean, I should have. I could have done a solo podcast, but I mean, I don't know. I just couldn't be bothered. And um, what was I'm I going to talk about? I'd have been sad if you did anyway, because I like yeah. this guy so much that I was like, let, let's do it together. But yeah, I was. I was like, no, I wasn't. I don't mean I was going to do a solo podcast on this guy, like Jack Parsons, that we're going to talk about today. I mean, I just meant like I was just going to randomly talk about something else. <laughs> What happened? We just found it as like we were both on. It, it was a, a podcasting holiday. Yeah, it was a wee break from the podcasting world, but we're back and hopefully we'll be back to normality up to Christmas or whatever, and then afterwards yes. until another one of us fucks off on holiday or something. Oh, is it? But we're still it here. Wasn't ideal. I literally like got back yeah. my holiday and was the next day like really really ill. So I'm saying it was it was bad I missed the podcast. It was great that I wasn't actually ill on holiday, but it was so weird to yeah. go up the next day and I was like, I feel like I felt almost like jet lagged, but I was like, I feel like jet lagged, but that makes no sense because the only time I've ever had jet lag is when I went to uh, Thailand and I was like, I don't I don't think the two hour flights had the same impact. No, I don't I don't think so. You must have caught you must have caught it from some cunt on the plane. Yes. Or, I mean, I don't know if it happened immediately after you got home. It must have happened either in the plane or between the plane and the journey home. I'm guessing. Where'd you fly into Glasgow? We flew into Glasgow, but um, as I was saying, I had both the myth child and my myth mother with me, (laughs) um, and both of them also had it. So, and also, to be fair, like, we're fine when we left the airport and stuff, but uh, the next day we were all. I mean, I'm saying that the next day I was really, really ill. And then the following day I phoned the myth mother and I was like, oh, I was so ill all day yesterday. How are you? And she was like, I'm fine. I mean, I have no energy and I can't breathe properly, which is strange. But I don't think I've got anything wrong with me. And I was like, mm, sounds like sure COVID. you also have the flu. And she was like, well, yeah, I suppose those are symptoms of the flu. Oh, like, dear. What are you on about? She went, I, I, I just thought I was really tired from all the flying. I was like, why would you not be able to breathe properly from too much flying? Your <laughs> uh. mom's good. She all is. right, well, speaking of jet planes, we're going to be talking about Jack Parsons, the mythical spaceman. Is that what you called him? Uh, the crazy space warlock. Crazy space warlock. Crazy space warlock. I mean, I'd love to think that I think all scientists should be a crazy space warlock because it's more fun. And this guy is a laugh. And like, I never, never heard of him before. You mentioned it, but but now that you, he does have a link to my favorite TV show, which we'll get into later. It's not actually true, but it could be because his life is so mental. And there's also a Scientology link with this there's guy. There's an Epson link. Oh my god. He like, links to everything. He's the connective tissue between all our episodes and we didn't even know it. He pretty much is, actually. That's I can't so, even work out. So I don't know where I found his name, but remember when you were like, where, like, where did that come yeah, from? Where did that said, come from? It was when I was researching something else that I came across him, like a little snippet on him, and I was like, oh, he seems weird and interesting. Um, but I couldn't be 100% sure. I can... I'm guessing it was like the LeVay stuff, but right, it might have been. But I like to, I like to think that we manifested him, or he manifests Maybe. himself into this podcast because that's or the he kind of stuff he does. Us. Well, yeah, or we invoked him for some reason. I'd like to invoke him right now. 
I was going to say he does like invocation, except for the instances where he didn't like invocation. <laughs> Depends who he's invoking. <laughs> but he wanted to invoke Babylon, and he believed that he actually invoked a woman, the perfect woman, or something that he what he summoned her, or something like that. That is one of my favourite bits of the story when uh, you were like, he's great and he is great, but there's some bits where I'm like, all right, Jack, like that, where yeah, he invoked a pre-existing woman <laughs> and was like, I created her out of nothing. Like, no, she was. Oh, she did show up. <laughs> she did show up, but like, he definitely didn't create her out of nothing. Well, she seemed to think that he did. Well, no, actually, she didn't actually have any idea that he believed that that she, she'd been invoked by him. She just thought, oh, this is a cool guy. I'll just hang out with him for a while. He's kind of like a, he's definitely like a pre-hippie bohemian type before yes. there was like that kind of thing. Well, I mean, even the Alistair Crowley connection, like, well, who is he? Let's just tell listeners, who is this guy? Where was he born? What did he do? What is he famous for? Like, well, let's just start at the beginning. Can Martin. I start at both the beginning and the end and then go back to the beginning? Well, do what you want. For a very deliberate reason. Time is not favorite. linear. Well, it? it's not, that's true. And he would agree with us. Yeah. My favourite thing that I found out about his early life, which we will obviously cover when we're talking about him, but I want to start with my favourite thing in his early life and my favourite thing after his life. Favourite thing in his early life is that he had three names before he was three. And my favourite thing about that he had three names before he turned three. Three names? Yeah, like his name was legally changed three times. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. He he did have different names because of his dad and then his mum changed it because she didn't like him. And, and then his grandparents changed it for reasons yeah. that I'm not sure of. <laughs> and then my favourite thing about uh, after he was gone is that after he died, one of his close friends said, and I just think this is an amazing quote, I, I, I hope somebody says this about me one, one day, uh, when asked about Jack, a friend said, once a magician stands between two worlds, he's in danger of be- belonging to neither of them. In the end, Jack danced too close to the flames, and that cost him his life. Like, that <laughs> is an excellent. I mean, he literally did dance too close. He did, also, yes, he did literally <laughs> dance too close to the flames in multiple different ways on multiple different occasions. Well, see, again, with this guy, there's various theories about his death because someone who's so entrenched in mysticism and stuff, things like that. In fact, people complained that people fo- after his death, people focused too much on his occultism rather than his genius at rocketry, rockets at rocketry, <laughs> rocket science. Although, let's be honest, it's the occultism that's got me interested as yeah, well. well let's, let's face it, who cares about all the rocket shit? <laughs> we, we, we I mean, some of the rocket shit is quite interesting, but the occult stuff's the proper, the, the occult stuff, the, yeah. the warlocks, the famous warlocks, <laughs> the manifesting women... And the Scientology stuff, as you said, like that, so. Do you know what I liked as well when he was a young guy? Eh, his mum sent him away to study at a um, military academy for boys in San Diego. But do you yeah. know why he was expelled? I, I do know why he was expelled, yeah. He blew up the toilets. <laughs> such a maverick. <laughs> but but he again, he did block quite a lot of stuff in his life. He did, like, even as a young boy, he got into a lot of japes. A lot of japes and scrapes. I liked, I realised we're just jumping all about the story and I will start him being a baby in a minute. I also really liked when I was reading about him making his, uh, like, first proper friend at high school and it was the first person that he ever really, like, got because I was like, oh, it's like us. Yeah, I mean, because he wasn't a popular guy. He was a weirdo and I love weirdos, so 
mon up the weirdos like come on fuck man like he was getting bullied and then this guy um edward foreman which he, which he was, he was from a poor working class family and now that's significant because he was from a relatively wealthy family yes. but kind of struggled during the depression so they were up and down with their wealth and um this guy he basically had a lot in common with him but a couple of nerds that like rock rocket yeah, science like, but then he was defending them from the bullies so they became best buds academic weirdo that likes yeah. witchcraft and he was yeah. like an academic weirdo that likes witchcraft too let's be best friends yeah. let's form i'm bet if they were both alive today they would have their own podcast together. i bet they have their own podcast and if they were both alive today and we knew them we would be friends with them oh we'd have to have them on as a guest definitely or yeah. go on there <laughs> yes. and talk about like the um what is it the felomonic the book of the law and individual he said he was an individualist after he decided to leave the church of crowley which to be fair was a not getting away from crowley but i feel like yeah. that, that went down was a bit of a miss move well i start talking about him being a baby because we're going all yeah, over yeah and i know that's my fault because you said talk about <laughs> being a baby and i was like no i'm going to say 75 other things instead <laughs> right well when he was born on october 2nd oh okay well it's 1914 so he would have been over 100 years old at this point. But he would have still have been great. And quite actually, a lot. Not yeah, when he was a baby, yeah, obviously. But... Yeah, he was quite a hot guy. He was really yeah. nice. He, despite him having a moustache, he was quite a handsome guy. And I don't like his moustache. No, I, I don't trust guys with moustaches. I said that earlier today when I was out with David. Don't like a moustache. Just don't. I never have, though. I always like clean-shaven men. Like, sometimes a bit stubble's okay, but I prefer clean-shaven men. You know what I'm like? I like men that look like women, so <laughs> what can I do? Uh, he was you like your women to look like women and your men to look like women. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm all about the feminine. So he was born at the Good Samaritan Hospital in LA and his parents are called Ruth Virginia Whiteside and his dad is Marvel. Now that made me laugh because I kept thinking of Captain Marvel and stuff. Yes. <laughs> like his dad's called Marvel. H. Parsons, obviously his surname is Parsons. And his and name in his birth certificate, Jack was, Parsons' name in his birth certificate was Marvel Whiteside Parsons. Oh my god, that's so cool. I wonder if they But to be fair, he only had that name for a couple of months, but that is an ex Marvel Whiteside Parsons is That is an excellent name, yeah. You're yeah. right. <laughs> they moved to California from um to from Massachusetts and they purchased a house on Scarf Street in downtown LA. Yeah, so like you said, their son was their, his father's namesake, so he mm. was called Marvel Whiteside Parsons, did you say? Yeah, so that's But where's H coming from? So his dad's, Mar- his mum's Ruth. Virginia, Whiteside. Virginia oh, Whiteside. right, I see, yeah. And his dad was Marvel H. Parsons, and he was Marvel Whiteside Parsons. Although right. confusingly, because he ends up with the name Jack Parsons, which is obviously getting rid of his mum's name, but that's what he gets off the grandparents. So mm-hmm. his mum starts calling him, still when he's a baby, John Whiteside Parsons. Mm-hmm. And then his grandparents, again before he's turned three, then start just calling him Jack Parsons. And then that's the name that he basically has for the rest of his life. Yeah, because he was originally called John. Um, well, again, he was originally called Marvel, but then, Marvel. He was called John, but then he was called Jack. Yeah, but his mum was a bit of a cunt because she wouldn't let him. He's she wouldn't let him see his dad after his dad had. Well, his father. Well, she kicked him out. So 
I don't see why he's being an adulterer because, like, what was he going to do? Just not go out with anyone ever again? Like, I'm on his side. I'm sorry. <laughs> she publicly exposed him as being an adulterer and she forbid him to have any contact with Jack. His father later joined the armed forces and he rose to the rank of major, married a woman with whom he had a son, Charles, um, whom Jack only met once. Hmm. I wonder what Charles is like. He's probably really boring. I think he only met his dad once as well, didn't he? Oh, I don't know. But Did he? Well, technically, that doesn't make any sense because obviously his dad lived with him mm-hmm. when he was a baby, but like when he had the the ability to yeah. understand what was happening, I think he only met his dad once because his mum wouldn't let yeah. his dad see him. Well, his grandparents were really wealthy, so they moved to um, an upper class area of California where they were surrounded by like servants. He was brought up with like domestic servants and stuff. And it was millionaire's mile. Yeah. Um, and he didn't have a lot of friends. But a bit like Alistair Crowley as a child, really. But except his parents weren't like fanatical Christians. But sort of similar thing where he didn't have a yeah. lot. He had solitary childhood, which meant that he spent a lot of time with his imagination and reading. So then he got into sci-fi. And that's what inspired him to, become, to get interested in rocket science. The sci-fi just thing. Just making friends with Edward. Foreman. Yeah. And which then was he was still quite young because he was in eighth grade, which mm-hmm. is S1 or year nine if you're not from either America or Scotland. Apparently had undiagnosed dyslexia as well. And he was bullied for his upper class status <laughs> and perceived effeminacy. So they thought he was quite a camp effeminate boy, which is not what the impression I get of him when he's older. He seemed quite butch to me and he was only interested in like banging chicks. Yeah, he does. Well, seem... That's a bad thing. Like, the, you know, there's nothing wrong with being effeminate. Because there's <laughs> even, I don't know if you got, like, there's a bit when I was researching him about like a man that fell in love with him and I was like, yeah. oh, he's going to be a bicon, but then nothing happens. It's just like a man's in love with him. I don't know. Maybe they edited all that out, though, Mark. They could have censored all that. Because I think I read somewhere that he did, like, bum a guy in one of his... Well, he must have bummed loads of guys in his sex orgies. He not I mean, Alistair Crowley was a power bottom. It's in the religion. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to have done it. And after a while, if you have group sex, I mean, every every like one body just turns into another one and you just don't know where everyone's... Like, you're just one big mass of flesh. The end of the day. Just rolling around on a bunch of naked <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sounds great. Okay, so where well, are we here with him? So he, he was interested. He's at secondary school. Mm. He's in his rockets, his sci-fi. Yeah, he met Edward Foreman. They become really good friends. And by yeah. the age of 14, they're spending all most of their time building actual small working rockets together. Yeah, and they even had their own motto. It oh, was did. called. Yeah, they did. That's so sweet. They, they came up with their own motto in Latin called Per Aspera Ad Astra, which means through hardship to the stars. Ooh. You can take that two ways, I don't know. That's um, yeah. They yeah. also, when they were 14, uh, researched how to summon Satan. Yes, I was going to say that, Like, which is such a teenage thing to do. I mean, but he um, actually believed that he did summon something. So yeah. then it put him off. He worried. Oh, that was the, that was summoning that he didn't enjoy because he enjoyed the later ones. Ah, right, yeah, he but he was actually summoning some sort of entity. Yeah, but it's a bit um, like when kids fuck about with um, Ouija boards, isn't it? And then they were like, they they, they get scared or cursed or something. I mean, I wouldn't, because I'm Charlie Bigs buds, and I would just think, no, nah, actually, I probably would have been shit scared of doing stuff like that back then. 
I don't know. Um, you. <laughs> I don't know. But when I invoked the devil, I actually thought it was pretty cool. I feel like, yeah, by 14, I would, and mm. over saying that he was invoking, I would have tried to invoke a spirit or a demon or whatever when I was 14. Mm. If an mm. actual demon showed up in my house, I probably would also have shot myself. So I get yeah, why he was yeah. like, oh, I don't know if I like this. Yeah, okay. I also didn't realise he was dyslexic, which makes sense because I was reading mm-hmm. about how, like, basically he was really capable at school, but he failed every single exam. And I was like, yeah. that seems weird. But that adds up if he was dyslexic. But it's a shame because he did want to go to university and stuff and he tried, but because of the depression, his family lost money. So they couldn't afford to keep up his education there. And maybe he just couldn't pay much attention. I don't know. They did seem to lose like a lot of money though, because as mm-hmm. you say, in Millionaire's Row, and that was when mm-hmm. when he was fifteen, he blew up the. So hold on. He, <laughs> he, he what was, did he blow up? He was fourteen when he failed all his exams, uh-huh. and then he was fifteen when he blew up the toilets at the boarding school because <laughs> his family paid for him to go there to reset his exams. And then when he was sixteen, he spent a year travelling around Europe, funded by his grandfather. Right. And then when he returned at the beginning of 1930. That was when the Great Depression was starting, and by the time he was 17, his grandfather had died, and his mother and grandfather had lost their house and most of their fortune. Oh, bollocks. Oh, well. So that's in the space of, like, less than a year. Yeah, but a lot of people lost their wealth back then because of the Depression. Maybe they had money in the stock market. That's mad, though, when you think, like, when we've gone through, Mm. what what we call them that aren't, like, the Great Depression... And people have been like, like, and I'm like, well, it's not really now reading about it because if the Great Depression meant that you could go from being a millionaire Mm. to destitute in the space Mm. of like a couple of months, it's not really the same as being like, oh, what was it, the 2008 crash fight? Like, don't get me wrong, I get that financially fucked people, but that financially fucked you if you were like Mm. living in poverty, didn't financially fuck you if you were a multi millionaire. Yeah, but it was a different circumstance because it was a crash in the stock market. It wasn't like in 2008, it was it was a housing bubble. It was people fucking True. around with hedge funds and stuff like that. It was that was the fault of. I don't, actually, I'm really ignorant. I don't actually know what caused the stock crash of 1929. Neither did I, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> well, whatever it was, his grandfather was dead and hmm. his mum and his grandmother had to sell the mansion and they used the last of the money that they had from that to send him to, and I've put this in inverted commas because I don't really understand what it is, a university school, which I think is maybe like a college that gives yeah, you into the university. Yeah, so he went there to study chemistry. He also worked in the Hercules Powder Company, which sounds really gay, but probably <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Just to be fair, the Hercules Powder Company does, is a good name for a gay club. It is actually restoring one club in his honour. The Hercules Powder Company, and it's just like you get men working behind the bar with big buff guys with like just you know gladiator sandals on and togas. I'm mixing up genres here. HPC. (laughs) Oh man. But as he was going through that course, like Mm -hmm. his mum and grandmother had completely run out of money, so that was why he was working for the Hercules Powder Company because. That well, one because he really likes things that blow up, and yeah. two because it meant he could make enough money to put himself through university school. University school that sounds like something like a kid would say. I go to university school. <laughs> um, so 
how did he get into like because he was actually really successful at university school so although he was mm. self-funded at 20 he and edward mm-hmm. were both invited to study on a scholarship at pasadena junior college right mm-hmm. but it was only a scholarship for the first year so mm-hmm. went for the first year they were both really successful and then Edward and him had to leave before they did the full degree because, as you said already, like Edward's family were living in poverty from when he was young and Jack's mother and grandmother no longer had access to any funds to pay his tuition. So he basically had like a really successful first year at uni and then had -hmm. to drop out because he couldn't. Yeah. After it was free. Hmm. Okay. So they Um, shared socialist values they operated on it and because he, he formed a sort of rocket research company with three guys yeah so know. was that when he was that was when he was in the early 20s mm-hmm. yeah so to be fair that was shortly after he had to leave uni so he had guy, to leave course um and then Frank Molina was the other one he was a mathematician and a mechanical engineer and he wrote a thesis on rocket propulsion and he also shared their interest and befriended them, befriended them um, when he was, I don't know, what, what, whether he was at a university or if he was just doing research for somewhere. No, so that was, Caltech. Oh, hold on, the Sanger guy. Hmm? The Sanger guy was at, he was doing a like university equivalent course at the California Institute yeah, Caltech. of Technology. Yeah. Caltech. I never realised that was the same thing until you said that. It's the same fucking thing. Aye, so he was studying at Caltech. And because of what he was doing and because he was so successful, he had access to money in the Guggenheim grant. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. That was what then was funding Sanger. (laughs) And... Oh, my God. They wrote... Right, listen, this is what they used to do. So... They would talk about their, you know, their common interests, um, scientific, rocket science, but also they, well, they socialised, they smoked a reefer and had a lot of drinks, and they set about writing a semi-autobiographical science fiction screenplay that they planned to pitch to Hollywood with strong anti-capitalist and pacifist themes. Wonderful. <laughs> Strange for people inventing, like, explosives, but... Mm-hmm. It is, isn't it? Yeah, you'd think someone who's, like, Lost to blow shit up as a pacifist. That's a bit strange. But okay. The twenty first year of his life though is mm. again when I was we were saying before this, no no technical spoilers, but he is quite young when he dies. Yeah. We were saying like he does before we started recording, there's so much that he does that it seems like he's been alive forever. So yeah. when he was twenty one, right? So he met this guy. What did you do when you were twenty one, Mark? I just fucked, fucked about then you need so, yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, he also does a lot of fucking about and acting like an idiot, but he fits a lot mm-hmm. of interesting stuff in. So yeah. he meets this Sanger guy, him and Edward and Sanger then get access to this Guggenheim grant, which is worth like millions of pounds. While they're working on the researchers and the millions of pounds they have access to, he meets this woman, Helen, who he falls mm-hmm. in love with, and they get married. Yeah, nineteen forty-four. the year of his life. He wow. then, the three of them work together. So... When Jack was at the university school, he used his, basically what he'd learned at the Hercules Powder Company 
added that into his research and he basically created his own form of rocket fuel. Yeah, but which, or yeah, the three men then worked together while he was 21 to develop this into the first ever form of solid rocket fuel. Mm. And this was the first time that solid rocket fuel oh. had ever been invented. And this and, is all like within about three months of him turning right. 21. And guess where all that he developed this ship? A facility in Roswell, New Mexico. What happened in Roswell, New Mexico, Mark? Oh, let put a pen in that because right, when okay. we get to the Scientology stuff, I have <laughs> another related story. This is crazy. So we I mean, will come back to Roswell, New Mexico. Right, okay. Yeah. He also that year set up, so they basically then broke off from using the Guggenheim grant, started being self-funded and set up a company which was so successful that it's now JPL, which is owned by NASA. Yeah, so he did. NASA effectively wouldn't exist without this work that he without did. Without him. Again, mm. in the first six months of him turning 21. Wow. It was just like, <laughs> that's that an insane six month period of time in someone's life. Their first liquid fuel motor test took place near, this is so metal, the Devil's Gate Dam in Arroyo Seco on Halloween. I mean, this guy is cool as fuck. <laughs> but again, remembering this all happened when he was 21, his yeah. birthday is at the beginning of October and that took mm. place in Halloween. So I'm saying it's less than three months. It's less than a month. Wow. With, yeah, with, true. Within like four weeks of turning 21, <laughs> he basically created NASA, created solid rocket fuel, was granted access to a multi-million pound grant and met and got married to his wife. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me that Crowley declared one of his children to be an actual god incarnate because, I mean, this guy is pretty cool, isn't he? So yeah. I suppose he's quite godly. A god with dyslexia. Um, yeah. Then, uh, look. After that had happened because that was so successful, he was then offered him like basically the U.S. government mm-hmm. paid him to yeah. work for them developing his solid rocket fuel, and at the same time, he was also running his own like side company where he was manufacturing his own form of stable nitroglycerin and selling it on to other scientists. And he, his group um, became known on campus as a suicide squad. Yeah, I forgot I'd read that too. That's so that, fucking brilliant. I mean, I'm not saying that the comments wouldn't exist without that, yeah. but like, basically that's they were the first people to use that name. That term? Yeah, that yeah. name. Because they were just like mavericks. They were like renegades. They were blowing shit up everywhere around the university <laughs> because of the dangerous nature. Um and attracted attracted attention from the local press as well. Um, so they got quite a lot of publicity as well. So maybe that's why the government then drew their attention to that. Plus, we were coming up to World War Two, aren't we? So they needed they needed uh, rocket technology for their jets because they needed um, their jets to take off like before, like the because it wouldn't be enough runway or something. So they needed yeah. the jets to take off before they run out of runway, and they needed the rocket fuel to do that. So he's like helped him with that. I mean, but again, like his influence on just like mm. everything is insane. Yeah. Rockets, Satan, all sorts of things that we like. And then he appeared so, as an expert explosive witness in the trial of Captain Errol Kinnett. That again, that sounds like a made-up name. The head of police intelligence in LA, who was accused of conspiring to set a car bomb in the attempted murder of 
private investigator Harry Raymond, a former LAPD detective who was fired after whistleblowing against police corruption. Wayne Kinnett was convicted largely on part. So he got this guy in jail because of his expertise on explosives. Again, mostly a big fan, but there are some that I'm like, "Mm, why are you doing that, Jack? (laughs) (laughs) What what, what are you doing that for? (laughs) So that was all when he was 21, which is insane. Then when he was 22, Mm -hmm. uh, he accompanied his wife, Helen, on a wee night out. So her best friend who it was rumoured Helen was actually in a sexual relationship with, which Jack was apparently fine with. um, Yeah, because he... he Francis, who was, like, openly a lesbian and openly in love with Helen, so Francis can... So, right, yeah, I've told that in a very confusing way. So, this lady Francis, who apparently is Helen's lover, Helen being Jack's wife, Uh she and her brother John invite Jack and Helen mm. accompany them on a night out. Right. Um, okay. Now it was also known that John was very attracted to Jack. He was like a big Jack fan, thought he was a hottie, but to be fair, he has a hottie. Jack, he has a hottie. He has a hottie. And Jack, he's got like a razor head hair. He does. It's very sweet. Jack, Helen, Alistair and John all uh-huh. then end up going on this evening out where they go to one of the black masses at the home of Alistair Crowley. Right. Okay. So is that how he gets into the the Felimic religion? Yes. So right. Okay. <laughs> whatever went on that night, we don't know exactly, but we know that after that night, Jack and Wilfred Smith, who was the high priest of Thelema, mm-hmm. Um, ended up being very, very close. They saw each other regularly. Right. Um, so all four of the... So Jack, his wife, his wife's girlfriend, and his wife's girlfriend's brother, who was in love with Jack, all became <laughs> members of the Church of Thelema that evening when they attended the Mass. And then Jack becomes particularly close to Wilfred Smith, this high priest. Oh, Okay. Right, and then he becomes the high priest eventually himself. Yeah, so then, Parsons. He runs the, the whole. He runs the whole entire house. Yeah, and he's he only, the. He only wants cool people to go there. Yes, which to be fair, I think was very like Thelma. Everybody just wanted cool people. So yeah, yeah he kind of like trains under Wilfred Smith, mm-hmm. and becomes the high priest of the West Coast. It's something it's called OTO or something like um and short I can't remember what it actually means. It's some sort of for the Church of Felima. Um, let me see. Religious beliefs. <sighs> oh, you're, oh, you're looking through that, which again is a bit like mm, what? So. It, he, it means the Ordo Templi Orientis. That's what the OTO is. That's what he was part of. Basically, he ran that. Yeah, he was stuff. like... Yeah, but big, part of the, the Thelema. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said that one of the things that he owed to Thelema was uh, it opening his eyes to the fact that his father and mother had separated so that he never saw his dad in order to give him an Oedipus complex 
and oh. he needed this Oedipus complex and a hatred of authority so that he was able to become a practitioner of magic. This was what the universe wanted and ultimately it wanted to um, lead to him being oh. this like high priest of Thelema. Yeah. Like, yeah. Maybe don't tell people that you have an Oedipus complex. That's a bit odd. I know. It sounds very neckbeardy to me. It sounds like, you know, Magic the Gathering type shit. Oh, I'm into, I don't know, like he wears a fedora and he. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah, I'm starting to make like him out to be not cool now. Yes, like this oh, quote upsets me because it's like, yeah. almost like chicks think I'm weird just because I'm so close to my mom. Except that that's not his vibe because <laughs> again, at this point, he's living with his wife, his wife's girlfriend, hmm. and his maybe boyfriend. He smoked a lot of uh, weed as well. But then later I mean, on, yeah, that is a very I smoke a lot of weed statement. <laughs> yeah, oh man. <laughs> and I hate took... authority, and my dad gave me an Oedipus complex. Pass <laughs> <laughs> me that bowl of dad. marshmallows. <laughs> he sounds like Jim Morrison. <laughs> <In the door. laughs> I, he's like, yeah, I want to fuck my mom and kill my dad. Whoa, man. Uh, he also like later on took cocaine. He delved into cocaine, uh, peyote. He basically took all the drugs. Yeah. Within heroin, to the point where even Alistair Crowley was like, "Mate, you've got a serious problem." And when Alistair Crowley's saying that, because he did take a lot of drugs as well, you really do have issues if Alistair Crowley's telling you you're taking it too far. But maybe not it's just you should take and shed loads of drugs. But by thirty-one, but, so. Mm-hmm. At the age of 31, he is the high priest of the West Coast's Thelema Lodge. He is running oh, well, the yeah. U.S.'s first government-funded jet propulsion and jet-assisted <laughs> rocket takeoff yeah. research group. He also hosts a Podcast, multiple no. weekly sex magic gatherings. Uh, yes! And uh-huh. he has a new best friend and a new girlfriend, and his new best friend is... L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah, his young, his young trainee to Thelma, L. Ron Hubbard. And then again, this is where I'm like, Jack and his new girlfriend yeah. is his wife's 17 year old sister. Who's yeah, also called Betty. Yeah, that's right. And his wife, Helen, found out about it. She decided to start fucking a guy and she stayed with him. So they had like an open relationship where they were all banging each other, but like they were all friends. It's weird. Eddie had an open relationship, so I'm like, that's yeah. fine. But I'm like, don't, you're 31. Why are you fucking her 17 year old sister? Yeah, in like, Have an open that, relationship all you want, but that is underage as well in America. She has to be like, that's like over here it'd be fine because she's 16. Well, I don't know, that would be fine, but you know, morally <laughs> not too much, but legally, yeah. Yeah, legally it'd be fine, but over there it wouldn't. Um, and this is like where Elron Hubbard is such a bastard because. He denied it later on, but <laughs> when I was telling, like, we were, I was talking to David about this, and he was like, I can see um, this, it sounds like something off a Jerry Springer show or Mori Povich or, you know, the National Enquirer, where the headline is, rocket scientist cucks, <laughs> girlfriend leaves him for cult, for a guy who then forms a cult, you know, yeah. <laughs> just couldn't make it, honestly, it sounds so mad. Like, that is nuts. And L. Ron Hubbard 
it, this is he was probably one of the first people that Scientology fucked over because he oh, then got scammed like by L. Ron Hubbard because it was like a yacht scam or something. So he put all his life savings into it. I have so much good stuff before we get right. to the yacht like, scam, by the way, like, including his returning to Roswell. Right, yeah. Well, what what happened to everyone? Because Elron Hubbard took part in his orgies and he made. Oh no, he did this thing where he was trying to. It was called like the Babylon um, invocation or something. What was it called? Yeah. Project where he had to wank in the desert over some sacred plaques or something. And but while Elron doing... Hubbard watched. Yeah, so him and Elron Hubbard went to the desert so that he could wank over things. Oh, also, Babylon working, it was called. All of his sex magic Babylon gatherings wanking. were dedicated to the goddess Babylon, and yeah. all of his experiments were dedicated to her. Yeah. And she's the thelemic equivalent of thelemic, the thelemic equivalent of Mother Nature mm-hmm. and the representation of female sexual impulses, female liberation, and female fertility. Yeah. He allowed Hubbard to take part as his scribe, believing that he was particularly sensitive to detecting magical phenomena. As described by Richard Metzger, Parsons jerked off, as in had a wank, uh, in the name of spiritual advancement. Yeah, I often like to masturbate in the name of spiritual advancement. While Hubbard scanned the astral plane for signs and visions, or was he looking for, what, Xenu or something? I don't know, was that the inspiration? Maybe. Well, Parsons kind of maybe inspired him to come up with Scientology, perhaps. Yeah, I don't really want to blame Jack for that. No, but I mean, mm. I don't. I I think Hubbard was on the like trying trying to con him from the word go. So yeah, maybe definitely. Like, kind of taking notes on like how does the cult work? Yeah, that's probably what he was doing. He was studying that. At least in Jack's opinion, him and Hubbard were growing closer. Um, he shared with. Hubbard that Crowley was like the father that he never had. Mm-hmm. He talked to him about like how all his magic worked and how he was going about summoning all these different um, divine beings. And this is the bit that I wanted you to explain because I know nothing about this other than he also talked to him about the importance of his ring that he wore all the time. He said Wait, it was so is this is a magician's ring that allowed him to trap spirits into wood. Okay, so that was actually real because I thought that that was made up by Twin Peaks. You know, they retroactively added that as part of their like lore legend. No, so I I didn't know what, what? The Twin Peaks was until you said that. But um, yeah, he, he actually wore this ring everywhere he went, and that was what he yeah. I, he told Hubbard that that was yeah, why he wore the ring um... because it allowed him to trap like negative spirits and wooden beams. Right, so yeah, this is a paragraph from the Twin Peaks wiki. So it says here, like you said there, during one Felima gathering, he spoke alone with Hubbard, discussing Crowley, the teachings of Felima, alchemy and the relationship between magic, with a K at the end, uh, and his research. Throughout the discussion, Hubbard noticed Parsons fiddling with a ring on his right hand. Parsons then muttered, the magician longs to see and remarked that he felt there were spirits contained within the mansion's wood, which could be the Black Lodge. Uh, he then excused himself to attend to his guest abruptly ending the exchange. So how the fuck did... Right, so then... That is, to be fair, now that you're saying that, that's what he he called his branch of, like, Thelema, the Lodge. Oh, my God. This is all making sense now. <laughs> Again, he's like to everything we're interested in. That is crazy. Well, because I've got the owl cave ring 
tattooed on my arm because I yes. love the whole symbolism of it. And it's got that symbol. So they're implying, so what David Lynch is, he probably did have a ring that he said was linked to magic, and that inspired David Lynch to come up with the Owl Cave ring. And then he fitted that into his Twin Peaks narrative, whereby the ring gets passed on to people and whoever wears the ring ends up stuck in the Black Lodge. So maybe when he died, like spoilers, he does, like Jack Parsons gets like blown up. He ended up in the Black Lodge and he's there with Agent Cooper. Maybe. And the spirits, their spirits, and like the the little dwarf, he's the one that is connected to the ring, because he says with this ring, Ivy Wade, and fire walk with me or something. He gives it to someone. Well, dark ring. Wow. So, Where did he get the ring from? That's what I want. <laughs> after he's explained all this to Hubbard, so cool. Hubbard then <laughs> attends a gathering at his house where he attempts to summon another don't know who, uh, being, and in order to do this, he burnt candles in large coffins which were surrounding a fire pit. No, yeah, so there was a fire pit surrounded by coffins full of burning candles, surrounded by dancing women. Believing that this one had been successful, he invited Just Hubbard to join him on his next summoning. Uh, Is that where he in the desert? Yeah, well, (laughs) yeah. So shortly after he turned 33, Jack and Hubbard went to the desert to perform another one of these um, rituals. He said that they were going there to summon the moon child, which is confusing because the moon child, as we covered in one of our other episodes, is a fictional character from one of Crowley's books. But anyway, so they went out into the desert and this was in 1947 Mm -hmm. and they carried out this summoning ritual in order to summon the new child. Sorry, the moon child. The moon child, yeah. And they carried this out, as you alluded to earlier, much like where they carried out some of their other things, in Roswell, New Mexico, specifically in what is now known as Area 51. Oh, my God. And they carried this out five so days some... before the Roswell incident. So do you think, like, so do some people think that he summoned the UFOs by doing that ritual and that's how the, the, they found the aliens crashed and he started. See, there's another thing that connected to Jack Parsons is Area 51. Yes. That's not... Also, I don't know if some people think that, but I now think that. Like, that well, he's trying to summon something from beyond the moon yeah. and yeah, then yes. five days later, in exactly the spot he's trying to summon something from beyond the moon, the Roswell incident happens and they set up Area 51. Like, and what? he probably kickstart that ritual probably kickstarted all the UFO sightings in the 50s. Yes. Wow. That's fucking cool. Okay, so then what so, happened? Well, this is all going on, which is leading to what you were saying about him getting conned. Uh, Jack really? and Sarah, who's now known as Betty, are mm. practicing sex magic together. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are big. visits to the lodge by the police because neighbours have accused him of forcing pregnant women against their will to jump through fire, uh, molesting local teenage boys. But both of these are investigated and the police find that he hasn't molested no. anyone and yeah. hasn't anyone to jump through a fire. Mm. However, Hubbard then threatens to go to the police to expose Jack's relationship with Betty to them because he knows that he's now being looked into. Um, if he reveals that he has, as Jack didn't know until Hubbard reveals this to him, uh, basically nicked his entire fortune from this company you were talking about that they set up together. 
Yeah, because he said that, oh, what we'll do is we'll take your, we'll, we'll buy three yachts and we'll sell them to Panama and we'll sell them for a profit. But what he actually did is just take his money, still buy the yachts, but not actually sell them and take them to Panama. So he yes. chased them, Jack Chick found them, and he managed to stop them <coughs> before they went to run off in one of these yachts. And then he took them to court. But like you say, Hubbard used that against them, saying that, well, he she was 17 when you first went with her. So, And, and this is a thing that Hubbard would do constantly anyway as part of Scientology. He would find out people's secrets. Yes. That's what the whole like auditing's about, because you basically confess everything to and again, Scientology and you use that shit again. From, like, because mm-hmm. Jack was so open with him, he was like, yeah. right, I can now easily blackmail this guy and get him to do whatever uh-huh. I want. Exactly. Like, I wonder if that's where the whole idea of having that as part of Scientology came from. Obviously. Obviously it is. Poor Jack. (laughs) So, shortly after this is happening, Jack and Foreman are also technically let go, made redundant, I suppose we'd say. Yeah. From JPL, um, their own company. Is this because they were suspected as being communists or something? It is because they were suspected as being communists. But then that was found to be bullshit as well, so... Mm. He briefly, I think he briefly got his. He was trying to fuck. He was fucking about with Israel as well, because that's quite um interesting. You know the whole thing that's going on yes. now, the, the impact of that. So again, there's another link because he was trying to like after he got <coughs> excuse me fired from you know the American government, he started wanting to make weapons, rocket weapons for Israel that was just starting, like the the nation or the Zionists or whatever. Which is what I have a problem with with him. That he was yeah, again, like, I'm like, oh, you're great. And then mm-hmm. there's some bits where I'm like, mm. yeah. I mean, it was specifically like, apparently, it was Israeli power brokers that he was dealing with. And they were very clear that they wanted him to, that they were basically wanting to work with him to design nuclear weapons. So it's not like they were hiding that fact. I thought it was just our rockets or whatever, like not nukes. No, he was selling like not secrets to them, but he was work. So after he'd been made redundant from JPL, he mm-hmm. started working with the Hughes Aircraft Company. Um, oh, what Howard Hughes? Yes. Oh my God, Howard Hughes. <laughs> but he was working with them specifically in their chemical plant division, looking at how to make money from the Hughes Company setting up nuclear mm-hmm. power plants but what he was actually doing and this isn't rumored the is it power brokers is rumored but what he was actually doing is stealing their information and selling it on to someone oh. high up in israel wait so yeah the government accused him of being a spy basically for israel which that's he what he was doing kind of was um, okay oh no oh <laughs> So he then took the money that he made from that and also from his redundancy mm-hmm. um, and he used that so that him and Foreman could continue the research into rocket fuel. And then okay. he got a job with the Vulcan Powder Company. The Vulcan uh, Powder Company? Yes. Right. He and really? Becky split up because she was having an affair with L. Ron Hubbard. Well, yeah, she ran away with him and they yeah. founded Scientology. And L. Ron Hubbard was still married at this time when he married Sarah. So he was a fucking bigamist as well as a... 
as well as that kid. A fucking con con artist as well, yeah. Uh, but it was only shortly after this that he met his second wife, Marjorie Cameron, who you were speaking about earlier. So Marjorie Cameron, yeah. who was she's she's the one he felt he summoned during yeah, his um, mm-hmm, Babylon work ritual. He, that he like brought her into existence. Yeah, which is crazy. And that she okay. wasn't a woman. He believed she was an elemental. Yeah, so that's he, right. He believed she was an elemental that believed she was a human as a clunky sentence. But yeah, so he thought that he had summoned an elemental into existence and this elemental had taken the form of Marjorie Cameron, who believed, and she believed that she was a human woman, but she wasn't. She was an elemental. Right. But she was already famous prior to ever meeting him. She, oh, was, she, was she an artist? She was an artist and she was just called, she never, she didn't call herself Marjorie Cameron. She was Cameron, like that was her yeah, artist like name and who she worked as. Yeah, right. yeah, much like Madonna. Cameron. Just Cameron. <laughs> but they still had sex parties and stuff. They did, yeah. She was all, all well. Mm. Although, like, so did they, they got married in 1949, but she left them in 1950. Oh. Okay. But then they got back together again at the end of 1951. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. Well, there's a passage here that I can see where William was saying about the drugs, and he wrote, I live on peyote, marijuana, morphine, and cocaine. I never knew sadness, but only a madness that burns at the heart and brain. That's a poem that he wrote. <laughs> Lovely. Edgy. Like okay. uh, Dr. Zeus types. Right, so what happened next? Uh, so, so he lost his money. He ended up working in various shit jobs, like a gas station and things like that. Like, I don't know. He did a few different odd jobs and stuff. Was that, that was after him and Cameron? Yeah, Cameron. Uh-huh. Really divorced. So yeah, they got together in 1949, broke up in 1950. Got back together in 1951. Mm-hmm. And then before he got into all the shitty jobs, he was he invited with Richard Nixon. Oh, what? What did he do with Richard Nixon? So he was invited to a meeting with Richard Nixon. What? Which was released as part of the, you know, like the Nixon tapes thing. Oh, oh my God. I need to listen to that. Yeah, so okay. he has a meeting with Nixon where he explains to Nixon that we are all divine beings and he talks Nixon through the way to open the door to discover our own divine purposes. So he's basically trying to, he meets with Nixon about how to help Nixon become a god on earth. Yeah, that didn't really work out very well for Nixon. No, maybe he was there cursing him. Well, assume he was there cursing him and that makes him better. He's responsible for the whole Watergate scandal. (laughs) But he would have been well dead by then, obviously, because that was the 70s. And then, as you say, it was after that, uh-huh. And Cameron divorced again. He was fired from. Oh, Cameron moved to Mexico to join an artist commune in so San shit. Miguel de la Ende. Yeah. Um, he, Jack Bar- Parsons, he, he resorted to bootlegging nitroglycerin for money and managed to earn a wage as a car mechanic, a manual labourer at a gas station. There you go. And he was a hospital orderly. And for two years, he was also faculty member at the USC Department of Pharmacology because he was more of a chemist. Because his mate was the his mate was in charge yeah. of all the the machinery, but he was in charge of all the chemicals and stuff. So 
um, in the rocket science thing. That's how he came up with all the rocket fuel and the explosive side of things. And his um, his best friend was part of like actually making the machinery of the engines around it. And then the other guy was like a photographer or something, you know, the Suicide Squad people. He had I like that like, from when they meet, they're just always together. Like, that's lovely. Yeah. And the other two don't seem to be in his sex cult. So I like that as well, that they're like, that's fine. You're in your sex cult. I'm doing my thing. But we're all still pals. Also, while he couldn't pursue his scientific career um, and his wife wasn't with him and he was without his friends, he decided to return to occultism and embarked on sexually based magical operations with whores and prostitutes. <laughs> Lovely. He was intent and in, um informally following the ritualistic practice of Felomite organization. Uh he wanted to perform the crossing of the abyss, which uh, means that he obtained union with the universal consciousness, the axis mundi. Yeah, basically he wants to become one with the axis mundi, yeah, and became the master of the temple. Um, following his apparent success in doing so, Parsons recounted having an out-of-body experience invoked by Babylon, who astrally transported him to the biblical city of Chorazin. Is that a biblical city? I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that either. But I've... An experience he referred to as a black pilgrimage. Okay. Accompanying Parsons' Oath of the Abyss was his own Oath of the Antichrist, which was witnessed by Wilfred Talbot Smith. In this oath, Parsons professed to embody an entity named Bilarian Amelis al Dajjal, the Antichrist, who am come to fulfil the law of the beast 666. Viewing these oaths as the completion of the Babylon working, Parsons made an Elias autobiography titled Analysis by a Master of the Temple and an occult text titled The Book of Antichrist. In the latter work, Parsons writing as Billary, who he thinks he's like this entity called, or the Antichrist called Bellarion, prophesied that within nine years, Babylon would manifest on earth and supersede the dominance of the Abrahamic religions. Hmm, that didn't quite happen, did it? No. But perhaps because uh, he wasn't really there to guide it because of... Um... Yeah, what happens? Yeah. And there's various conspiracies about that. So what happened to him then? How did he die? Your bathroom. Well, in 1952, he set up his own company creating pyrotechnics to order for Hollywood films. And on June the 17th, 1952, so not too long after he set this company up, he was making a pyrotechnic and while doing so, and probably full of heroin, dropped his can of... Was it mercury or something? of mercury. All right, yeah. Mm-hmm into a bathtub and it exploded mm. and tore oh him apart. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> maybe, I'm saying it's not the best way to die. I mean, it's quite an interesting way to die. Yeah, it was, um, it destroyed the lower part of his, of the building and his mortal wounds were, his right forearm was amputated as in blown to fuck off. Mm-hmm. Um, his legs and left arm were broken and a hole was torn into his pretty face. Oh, no. Despite these critical injuries, Parsons was found conscious by the upstairs lodger, so he didn't immediately die. He tried to communicate with the arriving ambulance workers who rushed him to Huntington Memorial Hospital, where he was declared dead approximately 37 minutes after the explosion. Now, this is weird. His mother, Ruth, when she learned of his death, immediately took a fatal overdose of barbiturates. 
That's not even that. She took a fatal overdose of barbiturates because she heard mm. of his death, became hysterical, which is understandable. She has his mother. Yeah. Mm. Uh, couldn't stop screaming. So her housemate that she lived with um, asked her nurse to uh, give her some of her prescribed barbiturates to calm her down. And Jack's mother took the entire tub, popped the lid, oh. and swallowed all of them while screaming in front of her housemate and nurse. And then collapsed dead on the floor in front of them, which okay. is a fairly fucking horrific way to go. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it sounds like again back to Twin Peaks, Laura Palmer just screaming for no reason. Well, in the Black Lodge. What happened to his ring, though? Did Hubbard take it? Well, his ring. So you know about his black box thing? No. So apparently there was a black box that mm-hmm. survived the explosion in his workroom. Uh, yeah. It contained paintings of snakes and dragons. Didn't they try and destroy that, though? Yeah, so nobody knows what happened to it. So it contained mm-hmm. paintings uh, paintings of snakes and dragons, uh, <laughs> his heroin paraphernalia, his ring, and oh. uh, some movies that he had like filmed himself but nobody knows what happened to any of those things um some people believe they were destroyed but there's not actually any record of them being destroyed so nobody really we know they were found yeah i mean what roughly what was in it and then it was gone well this is um the obituary that was written in 1952 of the pasadena independent uh it says john w parsons handsome 37-year-old rocket scientist was killed on Tuesday in a chemical explosion, was one of the founders of a weird semi-religious cult. See, they start with that. They don't say that, you know, that he was a genius. Well, they did say he was a rocket scientist, but they don't really delve into that. They really focus on the occult thing. He was a weird semi-religious cult that flourished here about 10 years ago. Old police reports yesterday pictured the former Caltech professor as a man who led a double existence, a down-to-earth explosive expert who dabbled in intellectual necromancy. Intellectual necromancy. Possibly he was trying to reconcile fundamental human urges with the inhuman Buck Rogers type of innovations that sprang from his test tubes. And that's what they wrote about him. Yeah. I wouldn't say he was other than the, you know, rockets. There's not a lot of Buck Rogers comparisons, but okay. Well, here's where some of his colleagues uh, rejected the explanation that he had sweaty hands and just dropped the can, and plus he was like really loaded with heroin. Yeah. They, they said that he was very attentive about safety usually. I know, because all the previous history about him is why they called the Suicide Squad, because we were obviously pretty reckless with our. Explosions. Yeah, like he was always blowing shit up and yeah. was on heroin. So <laughs> he pissed a lot of people off around the campus because of like his reckless um experimental habits. Um, so they said that he was exceptionally cautious, and they also said that the explosion must have come from beneath the floorboards, implying an organized plot to kill him. Um. Why Normally, do... yes, you know, like a conspiracy theory, but nah, he was just out his chebs. Yeah, I think he was. 
Um, he said that yeah, okay, the way he stored his criminal uh, his chemicals is, was criminally negligent, and he noted that Parsons had previously been investigated by the police for illegally storing chemicals at the parsonage. He also found a morphine-filled syringe at the scene, suggesting that Parsons was, you know, he's not on the heroin. So they just closed it as an accidental death. Other people said that Parsons' death had been a suicide, stating that he'd suffered from depression for some time. It's a bit of a a weird way to kill yourself. But all right. I mean, if if you're going to kill yourself, do it in a memorable way, I suppose. Like his mum did. Others theorised that the explosion was an assassination plan by Howard Hughes in response to Parsons' suspected theft of Hughes Aircraft Company documents. Cameron became convinced that Parsons had been murdered, either by police officers seeking vengeance for his role in the conviction of Errol Kinnett. You know, we'll throw back to earlier when he got that guy put in jail for the car bombing thing. Or by anti-Zionists supposed to have worked for Israel. I don't buy any of that. I think he just genuinely accidentally no, dropped his and... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one of Cameron's friends, the artist Renati Brooks, later stated her belief that Parsons had died in a rite designed to create a homunculus. His death <laughs> has never been <laughs> definitively explained. So he's tried to. I'll also buy that one. I'm saying either yeah. or trying to make a homunculus. Maybe he was generally, yeah, trying to do that. I don't know why, but maybe to get revenge on Hubbard or something. Um. So, yeah, he was kind of forgotten, but eventually they did name the dark. Uh, there's a crater, the dark side of the moon, that's named the Parsons Crater after him. So Shamey never really got to see the space race happen, which is what he helped, you know, kickstart. Hmm. Yeah. He was considered effeminate as a child. In adult life, he exhibited an attitude of machismo. <laughs> or is it machismo? He had, he had an FBI file, which described him as potentially bisexual, do you know what really annoys me about all these files that um, J. Edgar Hoover kept about, you know, being gay and stuff, like always bi and all this shit? J. Edgar Hoover was the biggest homosexual out. He um, used to dress up in ladies' clothes and, you know, have, like, parties with his lovers and stuff. But yet he would use the same thing to blackmail other people. Also, so especially what? weird when he seemed to just be calling like anyone. When again, as you say, he liked guys like just anyone. He was like, you probably buy on the basis of nothing. Yeah. So what? Uh, um, he wants um, as he oh right. The reason why he said he's potentially bisexual is because Parsons apparently expressed experience late in homosexuality. The actor Paul Matheson. I've never heard of this actor. Probably yeah. not very good said he had a gay relationship with Parsons in the 50s, Well, this was disputed by others who knew him and Cameron. Parsons had a reputation of being a womaniser and was notorious for frequently flirting and having sexual liaisons with female staff members at JPL and Aerojet. So, he still could have fucked some guys as well, like, so what? He was also known for personal eccentricity, such as greeting house guests with a large pet snake around his neck. 
Driving to work. How is this weird? Driving to work in a rundown Pontiac. That's not really weird. That's just because he can't afford a decent car. Yeah, that's. (laughs) He keeps losing all his money all the time. That's sensible. And and using a mannequin dressed in a tuxedo with a bucket labelled the resident at his mailbox. Again, I don't really think that's that weird. No, it's just like. It's funny. Yeah. As well as being a fencing and archery enthusiast, Parsons was also a keen shooter. He liked to hunt jackrabbits and cottontails in the desert. Um, he had mock dueling with foremen while on test sites with rifles and shotguns. So they just liked to shoot off guns for laughs. <laughs> on proposing to his first wife, Helen, he gave her a pistol. He also enjoyed playing pranks on his colleagues, often through detonated explosives such as firecrackers and smoke bombs. <laughs> and he was known to spend hours at a time in the bathtub playing with toy boats while living at the parsonage so I like to spend hours at a time in the bathtub I love having a he suffered from what he described as manic hysteria and depressing melancholy so he was bipolar then yeah his father his father his father Marvel after suffering a near fatal heart attack died in 1947 as a psychiatric patient at St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Washington, D.C., and he was diagnosed with clinical depression, a condition Pendle suggested for the young, that the, the Jack Parsons inherited. But he probably wouldn't have known about that because obviously he never knew his dad, so maybe he thought that his depression was as a result of his magic, or maybe that's why he got any magic, I don't know. Or he did it because he was cool. <laughs> to look cool, because it was cool. Um. Well, what do we think then? Have you got any more? To no, say about that, that's. I mean, I feel like that's a lot for again, considering he was alive for such a short period of time. Yeah. He did an awful lot of stuff. Although a lot of his um, his uh, occult stuff, like poems and books, weren't published until after he was dead. His Cameron had them all published and stuff, and um. The International Astronomical Union decided to, like I say, name a creator on the far side of the moon after him in 1972. JPL later credited him for making distinctive technical innovations that advanced early efforts in rocket engineering, with aerospace journalist Craig Koval stating that the work of Parsons um, and the Galset group planted the seeds for JPL to become preeminent in space and rocketry. Yeah, like we basically wouldn't we'll have massive without him. Yeah, that's true. Um, what's that guy who wrote? You can see, you can tell that he's been an influence. Uh, Alan Moore, the guy who wrote um, The Watchman. Yes. Was a big influence on him. I can um, see that, yeah. Because Alan Moore apparently is an occultist as well. He does, look like a, he does um, look like a wizard, doesn't he? He, does, he, does, he looks like a really big fucking grumpy wizard. <laughs> oh, see when um, Elron Hubbard was confronted later on about his association with, you know, Alistair Crowley and cult and sex magic, he, he then they came up their explanation for the reason why he did that was because he was actually working undercover for the government to expose Parsons. Mm. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> I think little David Miscavige might have um, made that up. Yes. Because obviously Elrond Hubbard can do no wrong and he's like the saviour of the universe and all of mankind. Also like the, yeah, he was just uh, spying on him to make sure that he wasn't doing anything wrong, but also <laughs> yeah. had an affair with his girlfriend, who was also sister-in-law, and swindled him out of all his money. Because that's what you normally do when you're doing a police investigation. Um. <clears throat> So this is like after he's died, people wrote various books about him. And one of them in 2005, Widenfeld and Nicholson published Strange Angel, the otherworldly life of rocket scientist John Whiteside Parsons by George Pendle, who described Parsons as the Che Guevara of occultism. I mean, fair enough. He was quite, yeah, it's quite sexy. Yeah. In fact, maybe we should get a T-shirt with um, Jack Parsons face on it. You know, we have Barry. <laughs> I, I, I propose we get him back out there. Pendle said that although Parsons would not live to see his dream of space travel come true, he was essential to making it a reality. He also considered that the cultural stigma attached to Parsons' occultism was the primarily cause, primary cause of his low public profile, noting that, like many scientific mavericks, <clears throat> Parsons was eventually discarded by the establishment once he had served his purpose. It was his unorthodox mindset, creatively facilitated by his science fiction fandom and willingness to believe in magic sufficiency, Pendle argued, that allowed him to break scientific barriers previously thought to be indestructible, commenting that Parsons saw both space and magic as ways of exploring these new frontiers, one breaking free from Earth literally and metaphysically. Hmm. I mean, yeah. I get, especially at that point in time, like when he started his career. Like, I mean, yeah. the idea of going into space is still quite magical, but it would have been like magical, like literal magic back then. So that makes yeah. sense. I mean, I sometimes I think science is pretty much indistinguishable from magic myself. Because I don't know how half the shit works. And all no. the space and quantum physics and stuff just sounds like absolute wizardry to me. I don't even really understand how television's I mean, work. Well, electricity? I mean, that's yeah. like, you flick a switch and you've got light. It's just magic to me. It's pretty sweet. Elron Hubbard's role in Parsons' um, Agape Lodge and the ensuing yacht scam were explored in Russell Miller's 1987 Hubbard biography, Barefaced Messiah. Highly recommended. Parsons' involvement in the Agate Lodge was also discussed by Martin P. Starr in his history of the American Thelemite movement, The Unknown God. Um, Parsons' occult partnership with Hubbard was also mentioned in Alex Gibney's 2015 documentary Going Clear, Scientology and the Prison of Belief, produced by HBO. Before his death, Parsons appeared in science fiction writer. Oh, yeah, he also inspired quite a lot of science fiction writers to come up with characters. Um, based, based on himself. No. Yeah, so they created a mad scientist character called Hugo Chantrell in the novel Rocket to the Morgue, which was published in 1942. And another fictional character based on Parsons was Courtney James, a wealthy socialite who features in L. Sprague de Camp's 1956 short time travel story, A Gun for Dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. It's about a dinosaur finds a gun. 
Um, because a time traveler, I'm just making that up. A time traveler left a gun back in the dinosaur days. T Rex. I 100 believed you there. I was like, great, that's that's a brilliant idea for a book. Um, yeah, and then it goes on to say that Parsons' uh, mythology was incorporated into the narrative of David Lynch's mystery horror television series Twin Peaks. Where does that really surprise me? Because I genuinely thought that he made up that part, like David Lynch added that ring thing to his series, not the other way around, that he incorporated the ring into his universe. Is there, like, that's fucked up. I love it. <laughs> so I've, my tattoo is linked possibly to, well, it is, to Jack Parsons. Yeah. Um, I think that's better. <clears throat> evil spirits in wood well maybe i've got evil spirits trapped inside my arm i don't know (laughs) well a lot of stuff happens in the woods in twin peaks because that's where laura palmer got killed and there's a woodsman who are really creepy they're like um they're like they're horrible dark men they're evil like they're just called the woodsman and they're like evil spirits and they say something like, um, this is the water, this is the well, drink deep and descend. That's what they say. And they just go around the, the light. I don't know what that is. They brought, they resurrected evil Bob back. And there's just something weird about them. They're horrible. And also, I'll need to maybe check this out. <clears throat> there's a TV series um, called Strange Angel. Produced by Mark Heyman and starring Irish actor Jack Rayner as Parsons. Ooh. <clears throat> it premiered in June 2018 on CBS and ran for two seasons. So it didn't last very long, but it might be good to watch. No, I mean, just because something's only two seasons doesn't mean it's not great. Mm. Yeah. And he was also featured in an episode of Amazon series Lore, which I, I don't really know what that is. So yeah, there you go, Jack Parsons, mad space rocket scientist warlock guy. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed. It's probably a lot more we can say about him. Um, I mean, I suppose a lot of people would try and like, like I say, like a lot of nerds would love to be him and conjure up their own girlfriends because they can't get one of their own. <laughs> um, and he claimed he did it. He did, yeah. I mean, who are we to say he's wrong? Maybe he did invent that woman in her entire family. and Maybe he did. And that's that. Marjorie Cameron um, drew a picture of him. And I don't know, I'll show you. Um, I'll post, I promise I'll post this on the Facebook page if you want to have a look at it. Um, but I'm just going to send this over to you, Mark, for now, so you can see it. I'm just going to go into my phone so that I can open it. <laughs> So it depicts him as like a sort of cool dark angel looking guy with it looks like he's got tits though, but I don't know, maybe you can judge and see if he does. Here we go. So it wasn't destroyed, but I think that caused controversy. There you go, Death Sentity. Ooh. <sighs> I like his uh, dress. Yeah. And his hair. His hair's so cool. Yeah. Like I say, he's here when I see pictures of him, remind me of the character in Eraserhead with the, the mad like his hair sort of sticks up. It's quite thick. It's not like your usual nineteen forties style. No, not at all. It's um No. 
<clears throat> apparently he decided to create his own magic. Um, he didn't want to just work Crowley's spells. He was convinced he could combine science with magic. To become... Um... Yeah, to explore all the physical and metaphysical realms. Um, he doesn't see himself or humankind as a race that needed to stay tethered to the earth. Space travel, dimensional travel, because he, he said he taught him Cameron how to astral project. And she tried to astral project to him after he died. I don't know where she was going to find him. <laughs> um, but then again, you could be possibly right. You never know. I mean, maybe. Like, yeah, to be fair, I feel like I was being very dismissive of not all of his ideas. Actually, I was quite through all of his magic, but just when he said he created that woman out of nothing, but I don't know. Maybe he was a super powerful magician. We'll never know. He's dead now, sadly. I know. I wonder what would have happened had he like carried on. Do you think him and Hubbard would have clashed again? You know, with the whole Scientology thing. Do you think he would have been trying to take Hubbard down? Yes. With you know, like demon. Other a lot if they were still alive. <laughs> it would be like that. Would be a cool TV series. Hubbard versus Parsons. It would. Parsons versus Hubbard. <laughs> um. Oh, remember when we were talking about. <clears throat> Like Alistair Crowley previously, and he had like magic fights with. Yes. What was that guy's name? One of the I other guys. His name, but I remember his uh, magic fights. Yeah. <laughs> magic wizard fights. Anyway, I better stop because I'm struggling to speak now. I'm starting to cough. So, um, I just want to. I've got a request from Janice. Oh, Janice Beveridge, one of her. Um, I don't, I don't know if she's, I don't think she's ever listened to the podcast. I work with her, but she's um requested we add to the list reflexology. Oh. Um, and sort of you know like alternative medicine, the myths of that. Like she's a believer in it. I don't know if I am. I'd need to look into it more. Like she says. Reflexology is when they say that your feet is connected to all different all different ailments in your body, like different organs. I had my shoulder unlocked through my foot and it's the best like relief I've had from a shoulder pain ever. So I right, so, so yeah, because she said that they can actually diagnose illnesses through touching your feet. And I'm just like, how the hell does that work? But then it brings me back to what the Egyptians used to do. They used to put, or no, was it the ancient Egyptians? I don't know. But apparently, if you put a piece of onion on your foot, it cures a cold. Oh. Or no, it's a potato. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I found an onion quite convincing and a potato not. No, the onion was... You'd put if you put an onion up your oh god I can't say it <laughs> if you put an onion in your vagina mm-hmm. then <laughs> your breath starts smelling of onions uh, so okay I don't know what benefit that has 
No, like, why would you want your breath to smell of onions? Yeah, I don't get it. Maybe I've interpreted that wrong. Yeah, is it like a cautionary tale? Like, don't jam onions up your vagina. Yeah, <laughs> maybe don't. Your breath to reek. <laughs> no clue. Or maybe something to do with contraceptive. But I suppose that would put you off, like, get off with someone if, you're, yeah. if your breath smells like onions. Anyway, I'm talking shit. So let's pick a number between what? One and twenty-four. Um, I'm gonna go for number five. Uh, okay, number five is the one we just did. <laughs> so. Oh, Mark, you're supposed to sort this out. Um, okay, then I'll go with fifteen. Uh, number 10. fifteen is mm-hmm. in our um series of looking at the shit version of horror films, the worst. Oh. Pick a series horror films. What do you mean, pick a series of horror films? So, like, you know how we did the notoriously shitty hell? Um, no. Mm. Let's do that, though. The notoriously shitty <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street film, the very game. Oh, the second one? Yeah. And the notoriously shitty Friday the 13th film. Okay. The one that was kind of carry. So, another notoriously shitty horror film. Oh, God, I need to think of one. I've always wanted to watch. Um, Trolls 2 because there's a scene in it where this guy goes it's garbage day and it always makes me laugh and I always say it all the time I've been saying it quite a lot recently so I think I say we watch Trolls 2 okay well then for next week we'll be watching Trolls 2 we'll be watching Troll 2 I think it's just called Troll I'm not sure if it's Trolls Troll 2 hopefully we'll watch the same movie I'll I'll send you the details in case we end up watching different movies just looking it up just now I think there's a line and it was it was like, oh my god, they're eating her and then they're gonna eat me. Oh no! <laughs> <clears throat> right, so we're gonna watch Troll Two. All right, um, well, thank you very much. Um, there seems to be two very different looking posters for it, but I think it might be the same film. Why describe them? Uh, there's a poster with like four. Goopity faced Muppet men round the word troll too. But there's also a poster with a little boy running terrified from like a black creature that says troll too. The one I can see. A young boy is terrified to discover that his family trip is being haunted by a plant eating monster. That's not how it works though. Or troll too. Trolls live in the woods around Uh, Nibok and they feed on the town. Well, I've got a young boy's family take a trip to a place which, unknown to them, is the kingdom of the goblins. Now it's up to Josh and his magical time-stopping grandpa to save the family. <laughs> his magical time-stopping grandpa? Yeah. This is going to be an excellent film. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to have to watch it. It'll be funny. It's got 5% on Rotten Tomatoes, 29 on IMDb. And 4.3 out of 5 on Amazon, so I guess <laughs> people... <laughs> uh, Some extra views. Yeah, um, I look forward to both watching and discussing this. Oh, I see the one, I see the other one you mean, like, so is it a big, like, troll thing and a wee boy, like, running away from... Yes. I wonder if that's the same film. That looks deceptively good. It does, yeah. It's like... I used to go to the video, you know how you used to go to the video store? 
in the nineties when they had VHS. Yes. out there. It's something we used to do in the olden days before you had streaming products. You actually had to physically go and find a film, rent it, take it home, put it in a machine called a VCR. <laughs> and then Which weirdly was great. I feel like if somebody suggested doing that now, I'd be like, I can't be fucked, but it was a... And do you remember you had, to, you had to fuck about with the tracking just to get like a decent, like sometimes if the picture wasn't yeah. too great, you had to like sort out the tracking on it. That was fun. Or sometimes you would press play and it was at the end of the movie because the fuckers didn't run it back. They didn't rewind the film. Yes. Anyway, I used to go I used to go in and you always used to look at obviously the covers. And one time, like I've sort of told you this before, I think where I seen this um cover and it was called Blood Gnome and it had like this in the front with sharp teeth. And I said to David, oh, let's just get that, it might be fun. It wasn't. You never even seen the fucking Blood Gnomes. It turned out to be a softcore porn film. It was just like about this dominatrix <laughs> woman who wasn't even very good looking. And then occasionally you would see a little gnome appear. But that was it. It was nothing to do with it. It was just a porn film. Lovely. <clears throat> so you used to get movies like that all the time. Like really shit ones. So maybe this one, like that poster, is like it makes it wants to make you look think oh I better get this because it looks amazing like the, the cover art but it turns out it's absolute garbage when you watch it which is probably why a lot of like cult films started or a lot of films became cult films I don't know <laughs> if you ever like find something like that in the video store and then took it home and realised it was a lot of shite yes okay Example. Oh, I can't think of any examples, but yeah, I definitely did that a lot when I was younger. <laughs> did you like, I feel like you? if you went in with something specific that you were going to get, you were always fine. But in fact, no, that's not even true because you would always get like three for a fiver or something, wouldn't you? Yeah, so you we would. would normally, yeah. yeah, we would normally get like two films we'd heard of and just one random film. Yeah, and yeah, quite often do. the random film was right. It could either be really shit or it could be amazing. You just didn't know. But did your dad let you? pick one or did he pick one for himself or did you just go by yourself like because you obviously you would you'd be too young to have your own card no we would always my dad would pick one and we would always have like a turnip picking one mm-hmm. and then we would pick like and then somebody else would get a turnip picking one we'd never heard of before yeah i think that's kind of what we did um but then, like, well, my dad usually overruled me if I didn't, if I picked something, he would just pick me up kids' films. But, like, when I was older, like, Dave and I used to go to video driving all the time. And, yeah, we would get, like, the three films for, like, I don't know how much it was, a fiver or something. Oh, I miss it. I kind of miss doing that. Because I pay for all these streaming sites and I hardly ever watch anything on it. I suppose um, it was more like a yeah. ritual. <clears throat> And because you only had a certain amount of time to watch the films, you had to watch them. Otherwise, like, you know, you get a late fee or something. Yeah, like you didn't piss about and go like, oh, I'd maybe no. like to, yeah, there wasn't any of that for exactly the reason you're saying that. Yeah, and it's not like you could time pause to movie. watch all three films. So that was what you watched that week. Yeah, and then a lot of the times, like, you would have sleepovers with your friends and then you would rent a video or a stupid movie or like a horror movie or something and watch that. Yeah, we're getting all nostalgic now. Right, fuck this. <laughs> Let's um, wrap this up. Mark, you want to end on, like, how should we end this podcast? 
Uh, Tribute to Jack Parsons. I would say aggressively screaming bye, but I don't actually want to do that. (laughs) There has to be something that Jack Parsons said. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to find some, like, actual, like... Swarm Area 51 and find the moon child. Goodbye. Stop. (laughs) I should have laughed. I should have just left that (laughs) silent. (laughs) Bye! <laughs> Go have a wank in the desert. You might get a girlfriend out of it. You might, and she might be an elemental. <laughs>